Good morning, Grace. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. I love that Kenny and the worship team took us to all my ways are known to you and had us pray according to the the prayers of that song and and these petitions of really, Lord, increase my faith. It's hard to believe that you are for us. It's hard to believe that you'll preserve us. Nevertheless, Lord, help us to believe, increase our faith in these ways. But then also give us eyes to see the ways that you are already doing this. You know, um, Kenny, several years back, um, started asking a question every time he would sit under the word. And that question started to be asked in the student ministry. I know it's a question that Kenny asks often in his grace group, but it's how should we respond to that time in the word with prayer? How should that change the way that we pray? How should that compel us to pray? Uh, and, And I think that That is a wonderful place for us to respond in prayer as a result of the place that we're going to be in the word this morning. We want to pray, Lord, give us faith. Increase our faith because we do experience hard things in this life. But also, give us eyes to see those ways that you are using those hard things in our lives and your your character and your grace and your mercy are evident. And so... That's one of my big hopes today as a result of our time this morning. We'd go and we'd wrestle in our grace groups. We'd wrestle in our families uh, privately. We would go to God in prayer that he might increase our faith and that he might give us eyes to see because we're in a passage that really calls for that. And so to start our time in the word, uh, I, I think we need to have a little bit of context as to what is going on here in the book of Philippians. Paul begins this body of the letter to the Philippian church by recognizing a concern that he has. So he's writing to brothers. He's writing to those people that he's already introduced himself to. He's already told us that, that he's writing to the church in Philippi, but now he wants to emphasize the dear relationship he has with them. Brothers, something's going on. There's a concern that I have. And what is that concern? What has happened to me is the concern. You see, Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell in Rome. He's writing literally in chains. As you can see, the subtext to our sermon series, words of hope from a man in chains. Paul is in chains, literally. And, you know, if you are familiar with with some of other Paul's other writings, then you know that he always longed to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to strengthen the saints in Rome. He wanted to serve the church in Rome. But you have to imagine that he did not expect to go to Rome under these circumstances, in chains, imprisoned. And so now he's concerned for these people that he cares very deeply for, that one, they would just be discouraged because a dear friend of theirs and a father in the Lord is in a terrible circumstance. But also, he's concerned that his chains, that his imprisonment would undermine their faith. That it would uh, invalidate the gospel message that he has preached. And so, 
Paul wants to encourage these people. He finds himself in an objectively tough spot. Uh, Chains are not a, a thing that are enjoyable. Prison is not enjoyable. This is hard stuff. And yet, this is where Paul finds himself. Yet, he ends this passage of scripture in verse 18 by saying, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So do you see the incongruence here? Paul is in an objectively tough spot. He's suffering unjustly at that, and yet he rejoices. And so the question that we have to wonder at this is, well, how can that be? How can it be that in the midst of such profound suffering, Paul would be full of joy? And not only full of joy, but desiring to encourage those people that he cares so deeply for. So uh, my prayer this morning is that the Lord would work Paul's perspective in us and cause us to rejoice in the midst of our circumstances just as Paul rejoiced in the midst of his circumstances. But we wanna see how that rejoicing is possible. And so to that, there's two things we wanna see from Philippians 1 verses 12 through 18 this morning. Two things from our text. And first is that God uses our chains. God uses our chains. So what are our chains and how does God use them? That's, that's the first thing we want to consider. And then two, God uses our chains in a very specific way. God uses our chains to reveal what we treasure, to reveal what we treasure. And so I'm gonna pray that the Lord would help us to consider these things and give us eyes to see and hearts that believe. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We need you, Lord. Uh, we need you to meet with us here today by the powerful working of your spirit. Lord, would you cause your word to go out in power and clarity? Uh, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear so that we can be acquainted with your ways, so that we can know that you are good and that you were for us and you were with us? Lord, would you increase our faith? And would you even do that as a result of your word being carried out by your spirit and put on our hearts? And so we offer you this time uh, and pray that you would bless it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, once again, uh, we're gonna be seeing this first point. God uses our chains. And we wanna see that by reading Philippians 1, 12 through 14. So if you would follow along with me, Philippians 1, 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers, once again, intimacy there, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So again, first point, God uses our chains. How is this the case? I think that this entire passage uh, pivots, uh, swivels on the word really. 
really in verse 12. Paul begins this letter saying, I, I, I want you to know what has happened to me. And I mentioned a moment ago, this is like Paul saying, I know this looks bad. I know this might undermine your confidence. I know this might cause you to lose hope, but really, really something bigger and more important is happening here than what might meet the eye. Another way to interpret this word is rather, rather. It may seem like hope is lost. Rather, it's not. Rather, God is sovereignly at work. And so how is God at work? How could it be the case that hope isn't lost and this isn't just a terrible, no good circumstance that Paul has found himself in? God is, to, God is doing two very specific things through, God's, or through Paul's chains. Two very specific things. And it all starts with the Praetorian Guard in verse 13. So Paul writes this entire letter, imprisoned in Rome. He's literally in chains and he's chained to a member of the Praetorian Guard or a member of the Imperial Guard. So these guard members, these, uh, these soldiers, these would be elite soldiers. These would be influential soldiers. These would be the people that would be uh, the pot of people that the emperor's bodyguards would be chosen out of. They were the real deal. They were the Navy SEALs. They were the LAPD Metro. They were the Secret Service. They were people who had clout. And not only that, but they hung out in some very significant and influential circles. They were important people. And this is who Paul was chained to. As, Paul, as part of Paul's imprisonment, he probably had an 18-inch chain. And on one end was a shackle that was on him and it never came off. The other end though would be on one of these members of the Praetorian Guard and they would rotate about every four hours and then he would be chained to a new person. And I don't know if you've ever been chained to another person for any period of time, but I can't imagine that this would be a positive experience. He was chained 24 hours a day. So he had to be with this guard member all the time and he had to do everything, everything, with this guard member 18 inches away from him. There's real suffering wrapped up in this. And so, what an existence. You can imagine how this would be discouraging and a hopeless situation for Paul. And you can imagine how those people that, that Paul loves and who love him, how they would be discouraged by this situation as well. So, where, where do we go from here? The thing is, it is true that Paul was chained to a member of the Praetorian Guard. It is true that Paul was chained to a member of the Imperial Guard, a hardened soldier. But it is also true that the Praetorian Guard member was chained to Paul. When I think of this, I can't help but have SpongeBob come to my mind. I'm not sure exactly why, but an image comes to my mind of SpongeBob in chains in a prison and with his goofy grin, welcoming grin. I, I can't think of a more annoying thing or person, I guess person, than SpongeBob. Um, SpongeBob is just an annoyingly happy, welcoming, always wanting to talk. It just seems like a person that I, or a, a sponge that I wouldn't want to be around. <laughs> and yet here I think that 
Paul is a lot like SpongeBob. You wouldn't want to be chained to SpongeBob. And I can't imagine that these Praetorian Guard members would want to be chained to Paul. Can you imagine a hardened soldier, an elite soldier, an influential soldier? And they come in and they look on their board and they realize, oh man, I've, I've got Paul duty. And so they, they go down into the dark prison and they see Paul there and he goes, hey, it's Tacitus. Come on over here, my friend. And they just, they walk over to him and they put the chains on. He's like, it's so good to see you. I've been praying for you night and day. I've been praying for you. Do you have anything I can, how is your family? By the way, I just got this incredible report from a church that I did some ministry amongst a few years ago and they're doing well. They're persevering in the midst of hardship and it just blesses my soul. By the way, have you thought any more about our talk about sin? You know that you are a sinner and you're separated from a glorious and great God, but you can have grace forevermore in his son, Jesus. Come on, let's talk more. And that's the first five minutes of their conversation and they have three and a half hours more of this. You see these Praetorian Guard members, they were chained to a person who was full of hope, full of joy. They happened to be chained to the best evangelist who has ever lived. Do you imagine, can you imagine how the Lord might work through this? What was the result of these uh, encounters with Paul in chains? Paul preached and the gospel advanced. It progressed, it moved out, it gained ground. Verse 13 says, the whole imperial guard and all the rest learned that this imprisonment, Paul's chains were because of Christ. In other words, Paul's conduct and the message communicated, uh, Paul's conduct and his message communicated that he wasn't in chains because he was an enemy of the state. He wasn't in chains because he was a violent person. He wasn't in chains because he committed crimes. No, he was in chains because of his commitment to Jesus and his gospel. And as a result, as a result, Paul's gospel proclamation bolstered by the apologetic of his life was received and spread throughout some very important circles in Rome. And again, the result, the gospel advanced. You know how the book of Philippians ends? Philippians 4, 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. You catch that? How did Caesar's household become Christians? Well, it's because God was pleased to use one man's chains to stir up revival in an empire. God uses chains. So that's the first thing that, that we see here in Philippians 1, but there's an and. There's an and. God used Paul's chains to advance the gospel and, verse 14, and God used Paul's chains to strengthen the church. They, having become much more confident in the Lord, have become bold and fearless even. Satan has long sought to hinder the advance and progress of the gospel by killing Christians, 
by causing Christians to suffer, by giving them things that would hinder them in their normal everyday life so that they might retreat, so that they might be timid, so that they might become useless. But as uh, Tertullian famously said, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And here we see something similar happen. Did Paul's chains discourage the church? No. God, according to his sovereign goodness and secret wisdom, works through Paul's chains to raise up a bold and fearless army who spreads throughout Rome proclaiming Jesus. The saints in Rome, they saw Paul's chains and they saw that rather than discourage him, rather than destroy him, rather than beat him down, his chains communicated God's grace to people far and wide. They did the exact opposite of what their expectations might be. They saw Paul full of hope. They saw Paul living in such a way that his life communicated that Jesus was real and his gospel is true. And so what happened? They recognize in Paul and in his chains that though the Roman Empire might be able to kill his body, he serves a God who preserves his soul. And so they were lit on fire. They were encouraged. They were strengthened to go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They went out. And so again, God worked through Paul's chains. Paul's chains didn't discourage or dissuade the church. They didn't stop the advance of the gospel, just the opposite. God was at work in and through these chains. What we're seeing here is incredible, absolutely incredible. Some of you know that I am a Matthew Henry fan. I like Matthew Henry. I usually end up quoting him, it seems like, about every time I preach. So some of you might be aware of that. But Matthew Henry is great he lived in the late 1600s, early 1700s, and he's, he's mostly known for a commentary on the whole Bible that he wrote. A commentary that Charles Spurgeon was incredibly influenced by. Charles Spurgeon said that every Christian should read this through at least one time. So Charles Spurgeon tells you to go and buy it and read it through, not me. Um, one of the reasons why people love Matthew Henry, one of the reasons I love Matthew Henry is because of his ability to turn a phrase and capture the, the essence of a passage of scripture like he did with Philippians 1. This is what he said. A strange alchemy of providence, this to extract so great a good as the enlargement of the gospel out of so great an evil as the confinement of the apostle. Again, a strange alchemy of providence, this, to extract so great a good as the enlargement of the gospel out of so great an evil as the confinement of the apostle. Now there's an important word in there that I hope you notice, and that is the word alchemy. Not a word that we use very often, uh, unless you read Harry Potter, I suppose, but alchemy is a sort of pre-chemistry, it's something that existed, you know, hundreds of years ago. And it, it concerned itself with several things. One of the main things that it sought to do was take metal, uh, metal that wasn't very important, lead, and turn it into gold. And so Henry, Matthew Henry comes along and he says, Paul's chains were a strange alchemy of providence. 
In Paul's chains, God took something worthless and despised something that brought terror, something that discourages. He took lead and he turned it into gold. He took the worst situation and he made it into a golden situation. The specific gold that it turned into, God took the lead of the chains and turned it into the gold of the gospel advancing. God took the lead of the chains and he turned it into the gold of the strengthening of the church, of the emboldening of the church, so that the church might go and effectively make disciples of all nations. I think this matters. This matters because the reality is, is that we are all in chains. Every one of us, we are all in chains. Praise God that most of us will not experience physical chains like Paul has. Maybe some of us will, maybe some of us have, but for the vast majority of us, that's not where we are. There's a good chance that's not where we will be. Our chains aren't so literal, but we are very much in chains. We're chained to the circumstances of our life. We're chained to a desk job that we do not like. We're chained to aging parents. Some of us are chained to, chained to loneliness or to singleness or to a difficult husband or to a difficult wife. We're chained to our kids. We're chained to being a stay-at-home mother. We're chained to poverty. We're chained to the, to the ever-shifting of our mental health. There are so many things that we can find ourselves chained to. And so the question becomes, what are you chained to? I think that's a good thing for us to think about. What are you chained to today? What is this season of life? Where does God have you? And what do you find yourself in chain to? Now, what if it's not just that you are chained to these things, that you're chained to your aging parent, that you're chained to your loneliness, that you're chained to your poverty. What if those things are chained to you? What if God's strange providence that he is working is that he is working alchemy in the midst of your being chained? What if he desires to turn lead into gold in your life, in your chains? I think this passage should offer us hope and it should compel us. God has not abandoned us to our circumstances or to our chains. And he can and he does work through our divinely appointed chains to uniquely and powerfully advance the gospel and strengthen and build the church. What if you approach your desk job as recognizing it as a place of ministry, as a place of discipleship, what if rather than being chained to your desk, you saw your desk and extension, your workplace is being chained to you. And so you took advantage. And so you lived a life that communicated the hope of the gospel. And so you lived with uh, a sort of relationship with your coworkers so that when you saw that they were down and they were hopeless, you can go and provide the hope of the gospel. What if you lived in such a way where you could talk openly and honestly about shortcomings and even sin so that you might preach Christ in that place? I know some of you do that. It encourages me. It blesses my soul. What if in the midst of your singleness, you saw that less as a prison that you were chained in, but rather a context for discipleship? What if you saw that as a place to embrace the gift of singleness that God gives us and you used the 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 time and the means and the resources you have to serve the church, to partner with families, 
to, to minister amongst the various needs that we have here at Grace or, or in other ministries that exist in our community. God would turn lead into gold. What if you took advantage of the situation you have with your parents, your aging parents, rather than being a, a waster of your money, a waster of your time or your resources? What if your vocation became caring for these people, loving these people, helping them to know that they're cherished, that they are loved in your sight and in the sight of God? What if you became one who cheered their hearts? If you did, I'm confident that the Lord would turn lead into gold. Some of you have done this. I'm aware I could look out and see some of your faces and see how you've embraced this. And what happens as you do? Not only does opportunity arise so that the gospel might be advanced, but your church, this faith family, is built up. Strengthen, encourage. As we see your example of faith, we, it's like we're looking at Paul's chains and we remember, oh yes, oh yes, to be in chains is not to, to experience hopelessness, but that's actually where we can live in fullness to the glory of God. And so we set out and follow your example of faith. You make us bold. You make us fearless by your example. And so what, hap what would happen if we would see our chains as divinely appointed context of ministry and discipleship? The gospel would advance and we would be built up, strengthened as a church. And so what are your chains? What are your chains? We need to figure that out. And as you figure that out, engage those chains, asking God for wisdom, asking God for his help. And as that happens, I trust that the Lord will work to turn lead into gold. God uses our chains. He's used them to turn lead, terrible circumstances, garbage circumstances, lead into gold. And so uh, now I want us to see another way that God very specifically uses our chains. Another way that God might turn lead into gold. And that is our second point. God uses our chains to reveal what we treasure. God uses our chains to reveal what we treasure. We'll see this in verses 15 through 18. If you would read along with me. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. So here we return to our original question. How is it possible for Paul to be imprisoned in chains yet still rejoice? And here I think we get the answer. He can rejoice because his treasure isn't taken away by his chains. Paul can rejoice because his treasure isn't taken away by his chains. These few verses are a bit tricky and they almost don't seem to flow out of the previous verses. But apparently some in the church have been made bold by Paul's imprisonment. And now they go and preach the gospel truly but others are going and preaching the gospel truly or mostly true, but they're doing so out of envy. And so what exactly is going on here? In short, I don't know. 
I don't know exactly what is happening here. We don't know exactly what's going on. We don't know who these people are and what is driving them to do what they are doing. But there are some facts of the passage that we can be aware of. The, the fact is that some are seeking to hurt Paul by preaching a true or mostly true gospel. And I think what is most likely happening here is there are some people in this community who for one reason or another didn't like Paul. Maybe they were leaders in the Roman church and as Paul came into town, he took some of the, the authority that they saw themselves as having. People were looking to Paul as an example of faith rather than them. Uh, maybe there are people who looked at Paul and they saw his notoriety, his reputation as an apostle, and they wanted that for themselves. But now, with Paul in chains, rather than preach the true gospel so that the gospel would advance, rather than share in Paul's sufferings and therefore in Christ's sufferings, rather than lament the situation that Paul's in, these people, they go and they preach a true or mostly true gospel, but they do so so that they might receive fame, so that they might gain, so that they might gain followers, so that they could be special. Paul rightly recognizes that this can be disheartening to the church, to those who are earnest and desire for the gospel to grow, for those who earnestly love Paul. It seems like Paul's opponents, these rivals, it seems like they're winning. They're getting what they want. They're out preaching the gospel. They're seeing conversions. It's going well with them. But here's the point. Paul says, yeah, that's happening. They're preaching from rivalry. They're preaching from pretense. But that stuff doesn't matter. What matters? This entire passage is moving towards verse 18. Verse 18, is, it's like it has a big target on it and everything is being aimed and is about to land in verse 18. What's the point? What then? Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. What is Paul concerned about? What is Paul's treasure what is his brand or, or what is the thing that he, that he loves and cherishes? What is that thing that can't be taken away from him? Is it his fame? Is it his reputation? Is it his safety? Is it his legacy? No, Paul's treasure is bound up in Christ crucified. Christ crucified. Paul's mind is on the fame of his father and on the glory of his savior. Paul isn't concerned about who wins and who loses. Paul's playing an entirely different game. He cares that the gospel be preached, that people be saved, and that Jesus be magnified. I was talking to a few people trying to make sense of this passage this week. And as I did so, it, it became more and more clear how this sort of thing that we're seeing here from Paul doesn't really characterize me all the time. Um... Paul's eyes were on heaven. My eyes are often on myself. Paul's treasure is bound up in Christ crucified and my treasure can be found in so many other places so that my chains severely impact whether or not I'm miserable or whether I'm filled with joy. There is no place that this is more obvious to me than at Hume Lake. Hume Lake, I'm convinced, it's a Christian camp. We take students there every year. Hume Lake might be the most restful and refreshing place in the whole world. It also might be the most gospel-saturated place in the whole world. 
It's also one of the coolest and trendiest places in the whole world. And man, does it make me feel insecure sometimes. So the way this typically goes is I go to Hume Lake and I get off the bus at Hume Lake. And next thing you know, these other buses start rolling in and super cool youth pastor after super cool youth pastor start filing off these buses. And super cool volunteer worker after super cool volunteer worker start piling off the bus. Super cool student after super cool student starts piling off of these buses. Next thing you know, I'm realizing how tall I am and how stupid my shirt is. And, and I just go inward. And all I could think about is myself. All I could think about is what I'm communicating, how I'm coming off. And what I do to make myself, myself feel better in these instances is, well, I start to compare myself and I start to compare myself where I think I would be favorably perceived. And so I start looking for gaps and holes in these other churches and these other ministries. I start to compare what happens here at Grace and the student ministry at Grace and all the things I'm involved in versus what these other guys are involved in. And, and next thing you know, I'm, I'm being judgmental and I'm looking for red flags and going, oh man, uh, yeah, well, I wouldn't do it that way. And, and, and it's just terrible. It's terrible. In God's grace and his kindness, uh, the way it typically goes is I start to develop that sort of arrogant, prideful attitude and the Lord just punches me in my gut. I end up having a conversation with someone and it's a great conversation that reveals the, the true nature of our gospel partnership. And I'm cut and I recognize, oh, we are brothers, or we are sisters in Christ. You know, we are aimed at the same thing. Sometimes we might go about doing it in different ways, but we're together in this. And so I ought to rejoice in that and encourage that rather than demean the little things that I might do differently. And here's the deal. This is who we are. This is who we are. This is what we're like. Often, we are not like Paul. Our chains reveal this. Our chains reveal that we are not those who are chiefly concerned with the gospel advancing. Otherwise, we would not be so miserable when our chains affect our lives. Our chains make us miserable because they will take away what, or hinder our pursuits of that which we truly treasure. If we were in Paul's situation, most of us would be miserable. We'd be tempted in our flesh to operate from a place of envy or pretense where the gospel is concerned, just like Paul's enemies. And so we do sometimes. We'll want to look out at other churches, other ministries, other Christians, and hold ourselves up against them. We'll want to win. We'll be concerned with exporting grace EV free rather than the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We'll take secret pleasure when other Christians struggle in ways that we don't or haven't yet. We'll let other sins invalidate their ministries or their testimonies, all the while not holding ourselves to the same standards. Paul, in chains, comes along and he says, quit. Stop that. Take your eyes off of yourself and put them on Jesus in heaven. See what truly matters. Focus on what is eternal and what will reap eternal fruit. Focus on what brings Christ glory. Paul was in chains. And I think his chains gave him a certain perspective that we sorely lack. And so what does God do? Well, in his kindness, 
he allows and even brings about chains so as to clarify what we treasure. And so that we might die to those idols and we might live to Christ. And so this allows us to again take advantage of our chains rather than be beat down by them. Our chains can serve as reminders that this world is not our home, that our citizenship is in heaven, that there is more to life than our circumstances. So practically, I think this means a couple things for us. Following directly from this passage as closely as we can, I think this means that we do everything in our power to be at peace with those churches, those ministries, those Christians that are around us. We are to seek unity in the church. Do these people, these organizations, these churches, do they preach Christ? Are they gathered together around the gospel? Are they people of the word? Then let us live peaceably among them. Let us do everything we can to be united in faith, supporting in prayer and encouraging in word to these people, ministries and organizations. Yes, there are times where legitimate disagreements will come up and where we need to step into things, but we can do so from a place of love and humility rather than lording over what we think is good and right over these people. No, we can divide the church or we can unite the church and encourage the church and be supporters of the church. Even in this area, there's so many gospel-believing, gospel-proclaiming churches that we ought to support and love and care about. We're invested in their succeeding in Christ. And so let us be about the local church in La Mirada and Fullerton and Buena Park in the United States and to the ends of the earth. And also recognize that when things come up, it's often not our job or our role to correct. We would do so well to focus our efforts and our energy here at Grace EV Free. This is our faith family. These are people that we've been united in covenant with. And so let us be concerned with our doctrine Let us be concerned with calling one another to die to sin and to live to Christ. There are other people in other places and it is their job to ensure that these places walk faithfully with the Lord. And so we need to be wise in how we level criticism, how we critique. Let us be about this church and building up this church and supporting other churches who we are united together with in Christ. But at a principle level, at a big picture level, what is this passage saying? The timeless truth that it wants to communicate to us I think this should again cause us to see our chains differently. Our chains, are are our chains things that cause us to despair? Are they things that just serve as, uh, as a hindrance, as an obstacle to those good things in life that we truly want and therefore when we are in chains, we become miserable? For Paul, his chains didn't rob him of his joy because his chains couldn't take away the gospel. His chains couldn't take away the hope of the gospel. His chains couldn't stop the advance of the gospel. What about you? Do your chains clarify what is most important to you? Do do they clarify your treasure? Your chains merely bind you to a circumstance that you hate. Or are they things that bind you to ministry and discipleship opportunities? Are they things that that take your eyes off of eternal matters or things that clarify eternal matters? God works through chains. He works through chains. He sovereignly allows and brings about circumstances in our lives that we would not choose, that are legitimately painful and difficult. But he uses these according to his wisdom and his goodness. And so I urge you, rethink your chains. 
today as you gather in grace groups, as you sit with your family, as you meet with your friends, reconsider your chains and engage them to the glory of God, trusting that God can turn lead into gold. To close, I want to read the passage that Kenny referred to earlier, Romans 15, 29. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Paul did come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ to the church of Rome, and he came in chains. How might the fullness and the blessing of Christ be manifested in your chains? Let's pray. Father, help us, O Lord. Help us as we all find ourselves in chains. And some of these are very difficult chains. We're chained to things that are, that are ruining our bodies, that are ruining our uh, financial situation. We're chained to things that are drains on us emotionally. And yet, Lord, it seems that you are the sort of God who works through these chains, who allows these, these circumstances to not be places where we experience a sort of hell on earth, but a place where we experience the glories of heaven even. And so, Father, I pray that you would work mightily and powerfully according to your spirit in us to cause us to see our lives and our circumstances differently. As this happens, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us and you would turn lead into gold. May that be true this week. Manifest the fullness of the blessing of Christ in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.